We'll begin reading in verse 1, Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Let's all hear the Lord's word. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh. If any man, other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an ensample. And God will add his blessing to that reading of his gracious word. Bow with me for a moment in prayer. Let's seek the Lord together. We come again, Father, to the throne because we are conscious of our abject weakness when it comes to doing anything spiritual. This is the work of the Holy Ghost. And we pray that thou wilt equip thy servant tonight to preach the truth with conviction, with simplicity, with heart and compassion. And grant, Lord, that the hearing ear will be given to young and old alike. And we will know, we will know, Lord, beyond any doubt that God has spoken tonight from his truth. And that will be a good thing. What a wonderful start to a week to have met with thee and to have heard our Father speak to his children. In thy Son's name we pray. Amen. And amen. I think it's nothing short of remarkable to be able to tell other Christians to imitate your life. 
mimic me. Anyone can say the words, but how many are there that can with authority and with Holy Ghost inspired honesty tell other believers, imitate me, do as I do, and you'll be fine. That to me is astounding. And yet that is exactly what Paul does in verse 17 of the chapter we just read. He tells these Philippian believers, brethren, be followers together of me. A more literal rendering of that phrase would be, brothers, join others in following my example. He's telling these Christians, in essence, if you want to know how to live the Christian life, and that's what he's been dealing with, if you want to know how to live the Christian life, look at me. Study my life. Study the pattern that I have left you. Take my lead, follow me, and you'll do well. It seems a most arrogant thing to say. But one thing Paul was not was arrogant. The same man who in five other places in his epistles, five other places, exhorted believers, Christians to mimic him, to imitate him, also declared that he was the chief of sinners and that he was less than least of all the saints. Also, Holy Ghost-inspired honesty when he said that. It was not mock humility. He believed that. It was Paul in this very chapter who declared that all of his accomplishments as a Jew, as a Pharisee, as a keeper of the law, and they were many. He viewed them as dung, a pile of manure. They stank in his mind. Repulsive, worthless dung. It was the same apostle who wrote to the Corinthian church, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Oh, that that truth would grip us. By the grace of God, we are what we are. However conceited men may think his calls upon Christians to mimic him may be, it can never be said that Paul was full of himself. God would actually see to that. And if you know 2 Corinthians chapter 12, there was given to him a thorn in the flesh, and we'll not worry ourselves about what the thorn in the flesh was. It was Satan buffeting him, and yet it was a, a messenger from God. Actually, it was a gift, so the text reads literally. That he might not be exalted above measure because of the abundance of revelations that had been given to him. God was going to make sure that Paul would walk humbly with him. We must be careful to note what he went on to say in that same verse 17. And mark them, he said, mark, that means to contemplate, to carefully consider them, which walk so as ye have us for an ensample. In other words, Paul is saying, not only do I want you in the church in Philippi to follow my example, but be sure you take note of the others who have behaved according to the pattern 
that we left you. There are others in the church who you need to imitate. Therefore, not only was Paul's life to be held up as a pattern for how these Christians were to live, but there were other Christians not so famous as Paul. We don't know what their names were who also had a life that could be marked as an example to be followed. Why? There's the question. We can say from Paul's words, it's because that these other believers had followed Paul's pattern. So if Paul says, follow my pattern, and there are folks in the church there who are following my pattern, and because they followed my pattern, you should follow their pattern. It's safe, you see. But that wouldn't be getting to the root of it. That wouldn't be the whole truth. The whole truth is found in a statement that Paul makes to the Corinthian church, chapter 11 of that epistle, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now, that explains everything. You see, Paul mimicked, he imitated Jesus Christ. Not perfectly, no one ever has. But as far as much as the grace of God was in him and the Holy Ghost filled him, the Apostle Paul walked in the footsteps of Christ. And therefore, because he walked in his footsteps, he could tell others, you need to follow me. I'm following Christ. I'm imitating him. By the grace of God, I'm walking where Christ walked. I am walking as he walked. It's not perfect, we all know, as we're going to see in a moment here. But he did follow Christ, and on that ground he said, you imitate me. And following him, they would be following Christ. I say that is a very powerful testimony to the grace of God in Paul's life. His ability to humbly tell others, follow me, because his life was patterned after Christ's life, is an indication of just how mightily the grace of God was at work in his life. Now you're thinking, Pastor, that was Paul. I'm not Paul. I got a follow-up question for you. Is the grace of God that was in Paul's life available to you? That's all I want to know. Is the grace of God that enabled him to so closely follow Christ that you could tell others, you could tell your family, you could tell your companions, you could tell your children, you just do as I do and you'll be okay. That's what he's saying. Would Paul be able if he was alive today, to speak of us in that fashion as he did to the believers in Corinth and Philippi and all the churches he wrote to to imitate him. Just follow them. Imitate them. You'll do well. The answer to that question, I think, would depend on whether or not we're following Christ. How fully we follow him. Remember, Caleb was one who wholly followed the Lord. So you can wholly, that's the word, that's the key word, wholly follow the Lord. You can follow the Lord, and then you can wholly follow the Lord. 
It's, it's for this reason that I want to draw your attention, not to verse 17, but what precedes it in verses 13 and 14. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. I haven't arrived. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth into those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's the context of saying, imitate me. Do as I do, and you'll do well. So from those two verses, I want to speak this evening on Paul's life as a pattern for Christ-like living. That really sums it up. Paul's life as a pattern for Christ-like living. I mean, it's like the Holy Ghost is saying, follow Paul. Paul will teach you what it is to follow me. I want to find out how Paul lived his life. What it was like to press toward this mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Jesus Christ as Paul did. I want to find that out because if I follow Paul, I'll follow Christ. Ultimately, that's what I'm after. And you do, you do see that when he says follow me, he's saying follow Christ. So number one. I want you to consider for a moment the shortcomings in Paul's life. That's a great place to begin, isn't it? Talk about Christ, Paul as a Christ-like pattern. Let's begin with the shortcomings in Paul's life. Because they're real. It seems strange that we begin here in a study of an example of what it is to follow Christ, to be able to tell others, follow me and you'll do okay. But here's where Paul himself begins. Before he says, follow me, he makes it very clear in verse 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. I haven't reached the goal yet. I'm not perfected yet. I've not crossed the finish line. I'm not glorified. There are flaws in me. There are faults in me. I'm not perfect. He's admitting that. In its context, this statement tacitly strikes at the Judaizers who, in their attempt to woo Gentile believers away from the gospel, were claiming that they had already reached perfection by the law. Their confidence, and that's why Paul was just digging at them in the opening words of chapter 3, their confidence was in the flesh, in their circumcision, and their adherence to the law of Moses. Oh, they kept the commandments. They had, in their own estimation, already apprehended. They had reached the mark. They were saying, follow us, follow us, and you'll be fine. Paul made it clear, those are the people you do not want to follow. He calls them dogs, the uncircumcised of heart. He has some serious words for them. But Paul makes it clear that even though he had counted all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, he still had not reached this perfection. Perfect likeness to Christ. Not there yet. As much as he was striving to be like Christ, he fell short. And he fell short every day. If ever there was a man who followed hard after Jesus Christ, it was Paul. And yet, for all that, 
Like you and me, Paul was plagued with shortcomings. I imagine some time in glory, I don't know when it'll time in glory, how's that for contradiction? When there is no time. But somewhere along in eternity, I imagine I'll have the opportunity to sit down with Paul and have a little chat. Paul, you, you talked to that Philippian church about you hadn't attained to perfection. What did you mean? Tell me about your shortcomings. Just, just read the last half of Romans 7 and you'll find the anguish of this man's heart as he struggles with sin still indwelling him and calls himself a wretched man. What does this fact say to you and me? Well, number one, as we think about the shortcomings of Paul's life, if this man had not reached unto perfection, this one who had so 150% abandoned himself to follow Jesus Christ, what does that say about you and me? In spirituality and likeness to Christ, I would submit to you that Paul was light years ahead of us all put together. I hope you're not offended by that. I hope you believe that. I, if you don't and you're offended, you'll get over it. It's just reality. This man was a giant, eminent among the saints. His spiritual eyesight was a whole lot clearer than ours. Look at his burden for souls. He could wish himself accursed for his brethren, his kinsmen, according to the flesh that they might be saved. Sorrow in his heart continually. His burden for the churches, not one, but all of them, a burden that caused him to fast often, to pray continually. Look at his sufferings, for Christ and the gospel. Study his humility. Look long and hard at his love for Christ. It was real and it was deep. Consider his unflinching obedience to the word of God. He would become all things to all men that he might win some, but he would not budge when it came to the gospel. He would not compromise. He wasn't plagued with that dissimulation that plagued Peter. What you, found, what you find Paul among the Jews, he was among the Gentiles. Same man. And yet he says, I count not myself to have apprehended. You see, the fact of the matter is that those Christians who are most eminent in holiness don't see themselves as eminent in holiness. Others see it. But they don't. They have a clear vision of their shortcomings, of their imperfections, of their flaws and failures and follies and sins. Oh, they see those so clearly. They see what they have not laid hold of yet. As you read the Diary, for example, of Andrew Bonner, 
eminent Free Church of Scotland, great preacher of Christ, great writer of many glorious hymns. His life, if you've never read Bonner's diary, it's one of those books you need to get. His life and sermons were saturated with the fragrance of Christ. He spent hours in prayer. He would go out into the woods on, of course, pleasant weather. Half a day, half a day in the woods just in prayer. You know what he says at the end of his life in his diary? He was lamenting his prayerlessness. Bonner, you prayed so much. If I could just pray a tenth of the time you spent before the throne, I think I'd be in revival. But at the end of his life, and he died well, He's lamenting his prayerlessness. He didn't pat himself on the back and say, I'm really great in prayer. I'm so steadfast. I lay a hold of God. I have power with God. No, he's, wish I had prayed more. I almost said if I was your pastor, that would be the best way to put this, but I would want you to get as low as you can. As low as you can. Have nothing to do. Stay away from promotion of self, exaltation of self, self-confidence. That, that the grace of God would keep our attitude far, far away from saying, in essence, Lord, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are. Always, always the idea, oh, I'm not like them, I'm not like them, I'm not like them. But you would say, by the grace of God, I am whatever I am. That's getting low before the Lord. Otherwise, if we don't do that, this matter of pressing, it won't even be on our radar. We'll become complacent. We'll become satisfied with where we are. We won't think there's more. When the preacher says, the same grace that was made available to Paul is made available to you. Mm. That'll be the response. But when you get low, I am what I am by the grace of God. It's the grace of God that has made me what I am. That means the grace of God can make me more than I am. So I'm going to press on. I am going to press on by the grace of God. And these shortcomings that are in my life, it'll be a battle with the flesh that I will have till the day I die and finally I am free from sin. But until that time comes, I am only going to grow by grace. Reflecting on something I said this morning, the closer we get to Christ, the more we see of his holiness, the more we will see of our ugliness and our imperfections. If we live without prayer or little prayer and little reading of the Word of God, serious reading of the Word of God, we will imagine that everything is okay with us. But when you see the glory of the Lord, 
you'll have the same response of Isaiah. Woe is me, for I am undone. A man of unclean lips, dwelling in the midst of a people of unclean lips. The second thought under his shortcomings. Even with them, even with his shortcomings, Paul lived close to Christ. That's an important point. Read Romans 7 again. Go home and read it again. Look at what he struggles with. The things I want to do, I don't do them. The things I don't want to do, I do those things. There's, there's a, a law in my flesh, and it wars against the law of the Spirit. And I can't do the things I want. Oh, wretched man that I am. And yet, he lived close to Christ. I don't know about you, but that encourages me. I know you Arizonians don't say amen, but I hope you're saying it in your heart. It encourages me that a man who had this struggle with sin could walk close to Christ. I'm thrilled because Satan wants to convince us because we have so many shortcomings that we can really never, never live close to him and follow him like Paul followed him. It's utter nonsense. We can. I'm not saying that you go on live in sin that it's going to be peachy keen in your Christian walk. That's not going to happen. I am saying that grace deals with our sin as it dealt with Paul's sin. I think the devil loves to get God's people to believe that because they have so many failings and faults, they can never live near the Lord. But what does the witness of Scripture say? Look at Abraham the father of the faithful. You know, the word of God, it's, it's so amazing when you, particularly when you read the Old Testament, how many flaws these Old Testament eminent saints had in their lives. Broken. But God bless them. Study Abraham's life. Look at Isaac. The old man wanted to give the blessing to Esau. His wife knew better. And she was a twister. Jacob. Look at Job. Some of the things that Job said, he should never have uttered them. They were wrong, wrong views of God. I understand the troubles. Job was an eminent saint. David? The record of David? Peter? I'm so glad Peter's in the New Testament. Martin Luther? Who would deny he was an eminent saint? But that reformer, he had some real issues. But my, how God used him. All of these eminent saints enjoyed nearness to the Lord. In spite of their shortcomings, in spite of their failures, and you can too. 
Oh, confess them. Do not deny them. Do not pretend that they're not there. Own up to them. That's the safe and the only thing you can do, really. But never dream. Never dream that where you are now in your spiritual walk is as good as it gets. If you remember one thing tonight, child of God, will you take that with you? Never dream that this is as good as it gets. Nearness to God. God's grace in your life. He came for failures and sinners. Secondly, let's look at the scrapbook of Paul's life. I hope everyone knows here, here knows what a scrapbook is. One of those things that people assemble to remember things of the past. Now, at least things they want to remember. They don't put things in it they'd rather forget in the scrapbook, unless they're really sick in their mind. But normally you want to put things in the scrapbook that you want to remember. And what you find in scrapbooks really gives you a little window into the individual that compiled it. I wouldn't ask for a raise of hands, but it wouldn't be interesting. If any of you actually have a scrapbook, have you ever put one together? My wife used to love to put scrapbooks together. She put, started putting one together when I first started dating her. Where we went, the restaurants or the places we saw as sightseeing. And on the night I asked her to marry me, the page that was empty was there was an engagement ring right there. And she turned to it and asked her it's a great, it's still, it's a wonderful scrapbook. I'd like to remember those times. Facebook is a virtual scrapbook for many people. Selfies. But what was in the scrapbook of Paul's life? Nothing. That's why he writes in verse 13, forgetting those things which are behind. Forgetting. Not only did Paul have a true and proper estimate on his present state, I have not obtained perfection, but he also had a clear and proper view of his past. Here's the image of a of a Greek runner who dare not look behind him. That would take his eyes off of the goal he must reach. He's got to reach the finish line. And Paul says, I'm not going to look back. Eyes are always straight ahead. I've got a line to cross. I'm running a race here. He loved that imagery in his epistles. It would slow him down if he looked back, and he could easily trip up. And the only way of finishing it was to look straight ahead, no looking back. So if we're going to imitate Paul, that's what we're doing now, thinking about, then we're going to have to learn how to run this Christian race. And that means learning how to refrain from looking back at the past. Paul says, follow me. You follow me in this. Forget the things which are behind. He didn't have a glorious past. Not how he lived and what he did. Forgetting those things which are behind. So that means, as far as our scrapbook goes, we don't have in it a recollection 
of the sins and failures of our past. We all have a black past. Some blacker more than others. There are Christians who keep a scrapbook of all their past failures, their past decisions, their past sins of yesteryear or even yesterday. They live in a state of constant regret. The two words that come up so often in one way or another in their thinking is, if only, if only I had done this and hadn't done that. If only I had made this decision and hadn't made that decision. What an utter waste of time. Brothers and sisters, what's done is done. You cannot undo the past. Oh, yes, you can learn from your failures. You can see that was foolish that I went down that road, that I did that thing. But regurgitating and mourning over your past? Tell me, what in the world has God said in his word about all your past failures and flaws and shortcomings? I'll remember them no more. No more. What business does the child of God having remembering what God says, I have forgotten You can't, you can't run as you need to run if you keep looking behind you. You cannot do it. That absorption with their past paralyzes the believer. And they make little progress toward the goal. And they live in fear. What if I do that again? Because the focus is upon the past. Looking back, looking back, and not looking ahead to Christ and the goal that's set before them in this race that we're all in. Child of God, what's past is past. You can't undo your past history, no matter how much you'd like to. I, I, I've never met an honest parent who said, I would have done things differently. If they're honest, they're going to say, you know, I would have done that, and I would have done this. I wouldn't have done that, and I wouldn't have done the other thing. But as far as Christian parents go, I, we try to do our best. Was it always right? As a, an old friend of mine, you would know him, he said, the only perfect parents I've ever met are those who don't have children. It is so true. What good is it going to do you if that's what you keep doing, looking back to the past. You can learn from the past, but reverse it, you cannot do. Yesterday, last week, last month, last year, the last decade is history. We might wish that things were done differently we would have wanted to have more power over sin and temptation. 
wish that we had not failed the Lord as often as we did. Wish we had prayed more. Wish we had studied the word of God more. But all of our wishing is not going to change the past. What before us just now is not only tomorrow, a new day, or a new week, but what before us now is what Paul kept before him, Jesus Christ. That's what's before us continually. He's the object, looking off unto Jesus, the author and finisher, the originator and the completer. He started it, he'll finish it, right? That's what it means. He began it, he created it within us, that faith to believe, and he will complete that faith, and we will cross the finish line. But he's there waiting, eyes forward on him. doesn't mean we don't learn from our mistakes and failures, but looking at them only in this fashion puts the goal into sharper focus. It's Christ I'm looking at. Not only do we not collect in our scrapbook the sins and failures of our past, but we look at the, what we're not supposed to put in the book, we do, is the progress we've made. This is really close to what Paul is getting at in the text. The Greek runner would be foolish to look over his shoulder to see what ground he's covered and who he's passed. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but there's a montage of uh, racing events, runners, I mean, on YouTube, of individuals who looked over their shoulder back just as they were nearing the finish line. And they slowed down. And you know what happened? <laughs> that runner came blowing past them. What was our mistake? Looking back. All that should concern the runner is the piece of ground that is right before him. I'm headed for the finish line. The devil, I think his middle name is distraction. Get you and get me sidetracked from what we're here to do and to be. He doesn't care if he can bring up the old failures of the past, or even get you, oh, I've made good progress. I'm not like other men. And again, when you start looking at the ground you've gained and the progress you've made, the very real temptation is to become complacent. I'm satisfied. We can become Fools when we rest upon past laurels. We become more perhaps generous in our giving, more, more patience with people. We've gotten a little bit better in prayer and a little more knowledge of the scriptures than we've had. And that's all good. We want to grow in prayer. We want to grow in the word of God. We should be moving along. We should be making progress. You should know more of the Bible this year than you knew last year. You should. Your prayer life should have grown from last year to this year. Progress is, is what it's about. Running the race, getting further along to glory, getting more like Jesus Christ. We'll get to that in a second. But don't, don't stop and congratulate yourself or pat yourself on the back. Thank God for what he's done for you, but 
move on. Keep moving. Keep running. Keep advancing. You can't live on the past. That's always the danger. You must continually forget about it. So if you're looking at your spirit, if you're looking at your spiritual scrapbook, my advice to you is throw it in the trash can. Forgetting those things which are behind. Thirdly and finally, I want you to see, as we're going to look at Paul's life, look at the simplicity of Paul's life. The simplicity. Note the text, 13. But this one thing I do. I want you to see how simple Paul made his life. This one thing I do. He had boiled life down to one simple thing. You know, one of the great ways that Satan has of robbing God's people of the, of the enjoyment and the experience of Christ is to get their life's focus complicated with many things. Running here and yon, there and everywhere. So, running down this trail and that trail and the other trail. It can consume you, brothers and sisters. And I'm going to tell you, you do not have the time to do that. If you're going to follow Paul, who followed Christ, I mean, Christ, his face was set like a flint, right? I'm going to Jerusalem. That's, my, that's why I'm here, to die on the cross. And he didn't swerve from it. There were all kinds of issues that would bombard him. I'm going, this is what I'm about. It was simplicity. The simplicity of a Christian life comes down to making it one thing. There's no shortage of things that steal the Christian away from the one things that's needful, like Mary, Martha, Martha. We're troubled about so many things. She was cumbered with serving. It wasn't the serving that was a problem. She was cumbered with it. Well, Mary should be here, I'm like me, and she's not. That's in there. It's one thing. And your sister has it right. It's about me. Has your life been simplified like that? So simplified. It's all about one thing. It can be the job. can be the family, education, it can even be church work. But you know, it, it sure makes life a lot simpler when you boil it all down to one thing. And what's the one thing? What does Paul say what he was striving for? When he said, I forget those things which are behind I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What was that about? There's one thing he was pressing for. Perfect likeness to Christ. That was his goal. That was the simplicity of Paul's life. The one thing I live for day in, that's why I want to know him. That's why I've counted everything else but dung. 
The one thing I want is to know him, and I want to know the power of his resurrection, and I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to know all of that, and I want to experience all of that, so why I can be just like him. Has your life been boiled down to that one thing? That simple thing. I want to be just like Jesus Christ. He's my redeemer. I owe it him. He shed his blood. He suffered as he did to make me like him. He died to transform me. Does he expect anything less than the great goal of our life is to be like Jesus? Pretty simple, isn't it? it it's that which governs the life, the guiding principle. It colors everything. Every decision, every action, Every day, how you begin it, how you end it, how you come to church, how you sit and listen in church, how you go home from church, what you talk about, I want to be like him. This having Christ as our focus, perfect likeness to him, that's all brought about as we know him, the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings. You become what you behold. You become what you gaze at. Teenagers, I'm not picking on them, but teenagers, they get these, they have these idols of the sports figures, you know? Whether it's hockey or football, baseball, soccer, but make a difference. And, there, and there's usually one that this, this is the best player. You ever been in a teenager's room where they've got some hockey or football player and they got the pin up on the wall of the football player and they know all the stats of the football player? If it's a quarterback, how many yards they've passed, how many games they've won. They know it all. I want to be like him. That's what you do. You become what you behold. You become what you gaze upon. Paul says, Christ, it's just simple. I just want to be like him. That's what I pray for. That's what I live for. You can understand, can you not, when that's the goal of your life, that's what you, all you're living for, Everything changes. Priorities change. What's important and what's unimportant changes. The choices that you make in life. Everything is governed by that. So I can see why Paul would say, mimic me. This is what I'm living for. And the apostle can say, you do that, and you'll be doing just fine. And I can tell you, you do that, you'll be fine. You'll be just fine. It is that simple. 
Don't make it complicated. It's that simple. May God be pleased now to write that word on the fleshy tables of our hearts. Amen. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Let's seek the Lord. Father in heaven, we confess to thee we have a knack for making things complicated, for getting distracted, always resulting in our eyes off the most important thing in life. We pray that thou wilt use thy word tonight in all of our souls. May we talk this up. May the Spirit of God come to us again and again to remind us the one thing that's needful, the one thing we are to pursue above all others. Now dismiss us with the fear of God and the favor of the Lord upon us. Bring us back Wednesday evening to earnestly seek thy face at the throne. In Christ's name we pray, amen and amen.